0: crack on here this morning i want to pray at the end i want to pray that we become aware and more aware of the holy spirit at work in us and amongst us um but let me let me preach bef- a little bit before I do that. Is that okay? Um, over the last few weeks, we've been teaching and exploring our key practice, growing as a family. We've been doing that up to Easter, okay? And we have six, we have six practices, and uh, we've been looking at the growing as a family one. they just a slightly different order there. And we sort of moved on to this training leaders one. But before before we do that, just a quick recap. A couple of weeks ago, because we had our baptism service last week, we, we've talked a lot about how we grow as a family, but how we have to realize if we're going to grow as a family, we're a family on mission. We are co-partnering with God to see his dream for the world come to pass. We're called out people, people of every creed, every color, every race and religion to become one new humanity in and under the Lordship of Jesus. A place where God's special presence dwells, a place where who God is, God is love, and his love gets inside us. God, who is family himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, comes and lives in us, makes his presence manifest in us, and that overflows into like into, into a community and binds us together as one people. I've said a number of weeks ago, it's one of my favorite little things to say, and we should remember it specifically today as we think about Pentecost, the hundred 120 people in that upper room went in as individuals, but they came out as one body. They were baptized into the Spirit of God through what Jesus had done, and it bound them together. They were now one, and so they lived with that covenantal love. Right? That bounding love that we sung about today, a covenant of old, right that, that the love of God reminds us, it binds us together as one new humanity in Christ Jesus. And the, the crucial thing to remember about growing as a family is we only grow if we love one another, first of all, but we only grow if we fulfill the Great Commission. Okay, There is a commission. We are an apostolic sent people. We are a body that works hard to look after itself. So lots of the world today is into healthy eating and all of that. So we need to do the things that are healthy, Right, so we need to be healthy in terms of the spiritual community that we're trying to create here—a healthy community. We put the right things in: love and grace and tolerance and all of those things. So we become. But we also need to exercise the body. So it's not just about what we put in, which is the Word of God and our affection and love for one another. But we then exercise and move in order to fulfill. We have to do something. We have a vocation as the church. It's in this family, it's in a family that you get formed, yeah, into increasing likeness, and we become more and more like Jesus in an overflow. We move, the body moves. Like the body doesn't, the muscles don't get worked if the body doesn't move. You can put all the healthy stuff in that you like, but it won't actually properly function if it doesn't move, and muscles don't move, they just waste. And so we are a family, but we're a family on a mission. Okay, And the key passage that we're uh, just orientating all these thoughts around Ephesians chapter 4, I read it a couple of weeks ago, but I want to read it again, just to ground us in the Word of God here this morning, Um, and then I'll I'll crack on a wee bit more. Okay, Let me read this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Okay, so emphasis on unity, one, oneness together, family kind of language, right? Who is over at all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been apportioned. Sorry, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is where it says, When he ascended in high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, become, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is ahead, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in work as each part does its work. Lots of words there, but beautiful scriptures. And Holy Spirit, we ask you just to anoint your words and give us wisdom as we unpack them. We see here in these words, we see it's like family language, as I said. But it's also language that um, indicates that the church has a vocation. The church has a calling to fulfill. We grow into the head who is Christ, and we uh, literally become his hands and feet. We are his body on the earth. And so uh, two weeks ago, as we moved into this fourth practice training leaders, I really wanted to start, this is a brief recap of this. I really wanted to start that by saying at a base level, we all are leaders. Because we all have influence. You may be influencing in your family, it may be in your community, it may be in your workplace, but everybody here is probably influencing someone, and in that respect, you're probably leading them to an extent. Now I do believe there are various degrees of leadership and various graces of leadership that God gives out, which we'll look at later on. But every single one of us is leading, and every single one of us there is contributing to the fulfillment of the great commission. In the same degree that we have influence, we are leading. Leading is kind of creating a field of influence where other people can grow and mature. And so my desire and our desire as a leadership team is that Emmanuel Portadown will be a place where we're all leading, where we're all influencing wherever God has called us to influence. In simple ways, but in profound ways. That's what Vivian was testifying to what was happening in here this week. And we want to do it in here, but we want you to do it out there as well. As you are formed into Christ likeness by being part of a family, you can carry the fragrance of Jesus out there to the world around you. The church gathered and the church scattered and as we do that we start to see the kingdom of God come. And discipleship is the place where people are learning to submit their lives to the lordship of Jesus. When we come together here and we worship it's important that we realize we're not just doing this for like singing a few songs, preaching a bit of a sermon, you know kind of just tickling our ears and that'll do the, that'll do the job. No, no, no. We're coming to submit ourselves as a people to Jesus' lordship and then there receive afresh his empowering presence to fulfill the great commission, to do what God has called us to do in every sphere of influence. And each one of us does that in different ways. And the family of God becomes then a place of instruction. The church becomes a place where we get shaped up, where we get equipped, where we get released into the things that God has called us to, the unique gifts and graces that are on your life. Hopefully, in this church, we'll get unpacked and unlocked and released. That's what we want to give our lives to as leaders in the church. Essentially, church is a place where people should flourish. I ain't going to make a big statement here, but I don't know anybody who is flourishing in this kind of paradigm Right to see the kingdom come to fulfil their role for Jesus in every sphere of influence they're called. I don't know anybody that's flourishing in that role for Jesus that doesn't go to church. I don't. They may be flourishing in that in the world's eyes, like they might have loads of money in the bank and the like. You know, they might have. You know, in, in other people's eyes, it might look like they're flourishing, but if they're flourishing for kingdom purposes, for eternal purposes. Not for temporal ones. I don't know anybody. You can tell me if you know somebody because I'd love to meet them and ask them how it's going, right? Because I don't know anybody who, who does that. It isn't. It isn't part of the Church of Jesus, and it isn't connected to a local fellowship. It isn't isn't giving themselves and sacrificing themselves to be part of a body where they can flourish, because God didn't make it that way. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, right? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. And so my longing is, the problem is, to be fair, on the other hand, the big critique is most churches, unfortunately, in today's world, aren't equipping the saints to flourish, right? And we want to kind of go against the grain a little bit, if that's the way to put it, and get back to what the New Testament calls us to be, which is to equip the saints to do the work. That's what we read. And we want you to see this church, and we want together as a family to all be up for change, Norman talked about it, and when I say change, not just change for the sake of it, but growth, flourishing, being being challenged, having the truth and love spoken into your life. Being uh, having your gifts drawn out, not allowing you to get comfortable and settle too much. We want church to be a place where we're flourishing and we're growing and we're healthy and we're strong in Christ and we're in a family and we feel the love of the Father, but we're being formed and shaped and changed to become all that God has called us to be. We don't have to stay victims for the rest of our life. We can be overcomers, right? We can move beyond that place that we're finding ourselves in at the moment. Not because God wants to rush us through our pain. Not at all. But we can find a place of healing and solace and soothing of the presence of Jesus. And then we can overcome. We can move into the places that God has called us to be. And that should be the case. Unfortunately, it doesn't feel like the case sometimes. But if the Spirit of God, who was poured out all those years ago at Pentecost, which we remember today, is the Spirit of wisdom, creativity, beauty, uh, power love, if he is the essence of all of those things, then we should be the most creative, imaginative, powerful, loving, beautiful people that the world knows. And that's what they're crying out for, actually. And I think we saw a demonstration of that yesterday. It's almost surprising that the message of the gospel is actually good news. But it is. And people are desperate because they're dry and empty, despite all that it looks like on the outside... They're empty inside, and we are the people that carry the Spirit of God, the Spirit of power, Spirit of love, and God is calling us to be those kind of a people, and so that was what I kind of did two weeks ago, okay, so that's a recap for those of you who weren't here, hopefully it brings you up to speed a little bit, we want everybody flourishing in that kind of base level, we're all leading, and we all want to be training one another, into increasing influence wherever God has called us to live our lives. So that's the goal, okay? That's the end. That God, through the saints, will fill the cities and nations with his presence. So I've kind of given you the end. What is the means, okay? So I've given you, the. hopefully painted a picture of everyone being equipped and flourishing in their God-given destiny. How do we get there? Well, I think the key is in this passage as well. So, not to read it all again, but it said, I want you to maintain the unity of the faith in the first few verses and to be one. And then it says that God gives gifts to people, which we're going to jump into now. And then it said that these gifts are given to the church by Christ in order that this is the end. The saints would be equipped. The saints would be released into every sphere of influence. And in order to do that, there's a means of getting there. And the means of getting there are the gifts, the bit in the middle, that Jesus gives to the church. And this is what they are. We read this a moment ago. Let me just uh, read it again. Just going to keep an eye on my time here. <laughs> in case I get carried away. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. In order to fill the whole universe. Right? You've got to kind of clock that in your head, right? Because this is the paradigm that we're thinking. This is the that God wants to fill the universe with his presence. And that's what's going to happen someday. Okay? So how does he want to do this? So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Right? So... He who descended, he who went lower than anyone has ever gone, has now went higher than anyone will ever go. Right? And so 10 days ago from today, we would have had what was called Ascension Day. Right? Last Sunday, they would have called Ascension Sunday. Ascension Day is the day that we remember that Jesus went to heaven. Okay? Now, when Jesus went to heaven, the Bible tells us that he sat down. So, in one way, Jesus is not here. Okay? Okay? I'll finish this in a minute. In one way, Jesus is not here. He's in heaven. He's, he's on a throne, and he's sat down because he's finished the work. There's a man in heaven who intercedes for us. Jesus, in still human form, in his resurrected body, is in heaven. But obviously we know Jesus is still on the earth. This is why thinking theologically about the ascension is really important. Jesus went to heaven, he sat down, but he is still present on the earth. How is he present on the earth? He's present in the earth by his spirit, which was poured out upon his people. And the ministry of Jesus carries on on the earth through his body through these five gifts. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. God has given these gifts in order for his church to be established, and in order, I believe, for his very presence to live on in the world through the church. These gifts are sometimes referred to as the ascension ministry of Christ. Okay, The ascension ministry of Christ. And what actually happened is, I believe, when Jesus ascended to heaven, it was like he parsed out into his bride, into his people, the core elements of his ministry. And the core elements of his ministry were these five things. His apostleship, his prophetic ministry, his teaching ministry, his shepherd ministry, and his evangelist ministry. Right Now, he didn't call them those things, but that's what Paul calls them. And Paul was given the revelation for the church. It's a bit like when you bequeath something to someone. It's a bit of an old English word, isn't it? When you you die, you bequeath something to them. Now, Jesus died, but he rose again. So he's obviously, thank God, not dead. He lives, but he's in heaven. But he, he bequeathed into his church the core bits of who he was. So that we live out his ministry on the earth. Are you with me? Because I know I knew we're not necessarily always taught this kind of stuff, right? But this is, this is crucial, I think, for how we grow and, and build a church. <clears throat> he leaves them on the earth for his church to embody. They're like his royal gifts. And they are the way that he and his presence is present in the world. And so sometimes we call these the fivefold gifts. And the key that I want to say is that Jesus has already given these to the church, I believe. He's actually almost coded them in to the DNA of the church. Right? Now, so some people believe that they don't exist today. And the ironic thing about that is people go to churches who don't believe this kind of stuff, but Jesus has actually already put it in them. Right? And so... There's like a, it's like a treasure chest lying dormant in the church for people that don't believe these things exist. They are the graces that Jesus placed in the church in order for the work of his work to continue to get done through his body. So if I use the word latent, they're like latent in his body. We don't import them in. We don't get sort of spiritual enough to like get them. Jesus already put them into his people, into humanity, I believe. And when people find a community of faith, what we would say an apostolic community, one that's carrying out the vision of Jesus, then those gifts and graces start to get nurtured, start to get start to get awakened. And we start to see these graces in people's lives. And they get on everyone. And I believe that God raises up leaders in these five areas, but Crucially, I think everybody gets in on these five graces. It says in verse 7, um, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each of us, each, each of us, not just the leaders, but to each of us, grace has been apportioned, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And so I believe that one of my responsibilities and the leadership team's responsibility is to make sure and to pray and to have the discernment of God that these five graces would be pumping in the life of the local church. And so if we want to measure success, it's not necessarily numbers. It's like, are these graces at work? Do we see the evangelistic grace at work? Do we see the apostolic grace at work? And we have to call that out. We have to nurture it because the enemy once. Imagine these five, when I describe them, hopefully it'll make more sense, right? But imagine all of these graces pumping. The enemy is having a feel there. He's having a laugh at the church in this regard, in the sense that when we're not moving in these, who, how would the enemy ever want a church flowing in all of these things? Because when we do this, we're actually being who Jesus was. We're carrying on his ministry. And so it's important for us to really get a grip of this. Now let me just do a quick summary of why these graces are given. Are you with me? You promise? You're not allowed to lie in church now? All right. <clears throat> Here is um, the five, re- five quick reasons, right? God wants to fill the universe. Name need water. God wants to fill the universe. It didn't say in that passage that, you know, he who descended also ascended so that he could fill the church. It said that he wanted to fill the universe, and God wants to fill the universe. But if he's in heaven, how's he going to fill the universe? He's only going to fill the universe through us, right? Through the church, being the church, carrying his presence into every nook and cranny, every dark corner, carrying his presence where he wants us to go. Why are these graces given? Number one, God wants to fill the universe. I love this quote by Wendell Berry. There are no unsacred places in the world. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Right? That means, right, that God <clears throat> wants to fill the earth with His presence. And His original intention for mankind was that every part of it would be sacred. But humanity, because of sin and selfishness, And self-centeredness and wanting to build our own gods have brought dysfunction and a virus, if you like, into the system. And because of that, we have desecrated what is sacred. But God wants to fill that with his presence. And so you stop looking at the world and going, oh, aren't those a pack of evil old sinners out there? Right? You You stop looking at the world and that kind of dualism that many of us were brought up in. Right, So everything out there is evil, and everything in here is holy. And we start to look at those evil, dark places, and we go, let's take them back. The devil's had those places for far too long. Let's carry the presence and power of Jesus into those places, because God wants to fill the universe. How do we do that? We do that by these five graces, which you are going to get to. So not only does God want to fill the universe, these are... <clears throat> The extension of the ministry of Jesus on the earth. I've kind of said that. Listen to this quote. helps explain it a little bit more. Ephesians 4.11, which describes those five gifts, is nothing less than the ministry of Christ expresses itself in and through the body of Christ. Anything less than a five-fold ministry is a misrepresentation of the ministry of Christ. And by consequence, leads to a misrepresentation of Christ in the world. So if the gifts of God are five right? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, and most of our churches, this is, a, this is a crass generalization, but just for the purposes of this, if most of our churches only really talk about two of them and lead out of two of them, which is the pastor and the teacher, and if all we do when young men and women go to seminary to be teachers and preachers, and all we train them in is how to preach people and how to visit people, right? In a sense, all we've got is two of them working, which means in a kind of way we have dismembered Jesus because he was all five. Does that make sense? He was all five. And so <clears throat> the problem is when, when it was a time of revival, that's when a lot of our teaching and training schools started in a time of revival. Now, what do you need in a time of revival? You need pastors to look after the people that are coming to faith and you need teachers, to teach them and grow them. Those two things are essential. But if all of our effort goes into just, and I know because a lot of my colleagues, the pressure that is on a lot of my colleagues, a lot of ministers and pastors to visit people and preach people, preach to people, and it's one person trying to do it for all these people. Like it's totally unbiblical. It's, it's, <laughs> we've got so far away from the way it was supposed to be. And we've kind of dismembered Jesus. And in a time when it's not revival, like now, what do we need? We need more than just pastors and teachers. We need prophets. We need apostles. We need evangelists stirred up and raised up in order to represent Jesus. Because Jesus was the chief archetype of each one of them. Was Jesus an apostle? You bet he was. He was the chief apostle. When people came to him one day and said, Jesus, you have to come to this town. Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. I've been there. Now I need to go to the next town. Right? He was all. He, 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 by the very nature, he was sent, which is what the word apostle means. Jesus was a sent one. Was Jesus the prophet? You bet he was. Jesus was the chief prophet. They even described him as such. Was Jesus a teacher? Yes, he was the chief teacher. No man taught like this man, they would say. Was Jesus a shepherd? <laughs> he was the good shepherd. He was the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. Was Jesus an evangelist? Of course he was. He was a chief evangelist. One day, when all the disciples wanted to go for their lunch a bit early, Jesus says, I need to go that way because there's a woman at a well that I need to talk to. He was an evangelist. He went out of his way to recruit people into the good news. So if Jesus was all five of these, and he went back to heaven after he was risen from the dead, and he put into his church these five graces, then we need all of them working so that we can represent the body of Jesus in the world today. It's the extension of the ministry of Christ. Not only that, these graces are heaven's design for the church's governance on the earth. It's like the grid, it's the wineskin, it's the framework, whatever language you want to use, for how we get the work done. And these were all operating in the early church. If you read the book of Acts, these things are all going on. You've got a man called Agabus, who's a prophet. You've got a guy called Philip, who's an evangelist. You've got Luke, who's a teacher. Who's re- All of these gifts are working um, when I was uh, in Uganda uh, a month or so ago, you know, you know I was there, and I met this guy. Um, he's called Pastor Manasseh. What a man he was. He's a South Sudanese refugee. He was a pastor there. And with all the rest of the, whatever it was, a million, I think, refugees that had to come over the border into the north of Uganda, Pastor Manasseh had to come with them, and because he was in the middle of this um, refugee camp, he starts to preach under a tree. And as he preaches under a tree, people start to come to faith. The church starts to get established. Foundations start to get laid, and then people come along and say, "Well, we'll help build you a church." They build a church out of mud. He's standing on it. It's just because it's a really good photo that I didn't take. It doesn't look like mud, but that's mud in the background. It can fit about a 100 people in it. He's trying to raise up leaders. He's trying to establish people in the faith. He's, uh, the well that we were able to drill for them, which is just beside the church, he uses the well as a well way not to just Help the people get water, but as a way to share the gospel with the people, not just from South Sudan who are the refugees, but with the northern Ugandans. And he's bringing reconciliation between them. He's preaching the gospel, they're getting saved. He's planted three churches since 2016 in the refugee camps. Now, what is that? Does he run around calling himself an apostle? No, he doesn't. Is he an apostle? Yes, he is. Because what you see there is somebody planting churches. Establishing people in the faith growing. So in the bush, in the middle of Africa, where this pastor Manasseh, he's not going to be headlining any conferences. He's not going to be the keynote speaker with a big name above his head in any of our kind of like Western world kind of things that we do. But wherever Jesus has his church, you see these graces. You see them working, you see them operating, you see because Jesus has put them into the church. And you forgot to tell you, when I got them, he'd got boots on, like welly boots, and he was digging ground so as people could grow things in a refugee camp so they could eat and not grow hungry. These are the signs of the graces of Jesus lived out in the ways of Jesus, right? Not some big titles but people operating in the graces that Jesus has given them. And these are really, really, really important. And we need to have all of them functioning. Um, For time's sake, I'm going to jump here to the fourth one. They're given also to, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I've talked about that quite a bit already. They're given not for the professionals, but for you. The sign of if we as a leadership team are operating and releasing these graces properly is only if you're being equipped. Right? If the sign is not if my preaching's getting better. The sign is not necessarily even if more people are coming, although that could be a sign. First and foremost, the sign that these graces are pumping are if you're being equipped to do the work of the ministry. If you're feeling challenged, stirred, encouraged to get on and be who Jesus has called you to be. That's how we know these graces are at work. And everybody gets to play on them. Not everyone's a leader in them, but everybody gets to play on them. The church both gathered and scattered. And finally, as I've already kind of said this one as well, but just to summarize, they're given to build up the body through maturity and unity and the knowledge of Christ so that we would mature into manhood, that we wouldn't be deceived or turned away, but we'd speak the truth in love and grow up into Christ. Okay? So what are they? How do they actually function? Ten minutes to run through the five. Are you with me? Promise? The person beside you, gives them a nudge, make sure they're still with us, okay? Nip them if you have to. No, don't don't. Okay. Here's the five, okay? The five graces, just so you know what we mean when we're talking about them. Number one, the apostle. The apostolic grace is the grace that helps people understand the overall vigor and extension of Christianity. The apostolic grace will not allow us to stay together. The pastoral grace and the apostolic grace sometimes clash in a good way. But the pastor wants everybody to feel nice and, you know, family. And the apostolic is like, we need to get out of the building. We, can't, we haven't seen anybody saved. We haven't planted a new church. There's parts of our town that aren't yet reached. The apostolic grace will be the overall extension and vigor of Christianity. It keeps it true to the mission, which is not to create little huddles. But to fulfill the Great Commission is to disciple the nations. And so the apostolic grace keeps us true to that. Usually there's a pioneering edge to that. They lead often from the front line into new missional frontiers. The word is a sent one ensuring that the church stays true to the big mission. They carry the message that Christ is king. Not just uh, so the evangelist will probably carry more of the message Jesus is saviour, which is really is, is part of it. Okay, They want to get people saved and recruited. The apostolic grace carries the grace Christ is king. That means Jesus is becoming lord over every sphere of society. Jesus is becoming lord here. His kingdom is coming. Not just are people coming saved but the elements of the kingdom, justice, righteousness, liberation, all all of that is breaking in. Those are the apostolic grace. Usually, the uh, the uh, the apostle is the foundation layer. They understand how to build a house. They're a bit like a, a, a master kind of architect in terms of how things get, uh, what rooms need to go where and stuff like that. So a lot of the other graces, usually the apostolic grace is a bit like an architect in that it can see all the rooms, whereas the, kinda, the, the pastor will see one room. And how that room should be kind of sorted, and the teacher will see one room, and how the apostolic grace is usually able to tie those together. They're a custodian of the DNA of the church. They should always lead out of a father and mother heart, okay? And just in case you think that this is an amazing grace that you would love to have, right? The apostolic grace is authenticated by suffering, usually deep suffering. Usually, really, really difficult suffering by sacrifice and empowerment. Paul, who was an amazing apostle, called himself the scum of the earth, right? So don't sign up for one, the apostolic grace, right? Unless you're prepared to also be labeled in many cases as the scum of the earth, right? Unless you're being prepared to lay down your whole life for the body of Christ, that your biggest reward in life will be not you growing in your gift, but seeing the people that you lead grow in theirs okay? And so we will see and spot apostolic grace on people in this church, in different levels of grace, in different levels, and we want to call that out of you. I've spent a little bit more time on that one because we don't often talk about that, but it's really, really important. I think often uh, uh, an apostolic grace is like a good midwife. It brings other dreams and other things to birth so others can flourish, okay? Secondly, the The prophetic grace, the prophet or the prophetic grace is called to maintain faithfulness to God among the people of God. The prophetic grace often, sometimes people are often seen as a bit intense, right, with the prophetic grace. But that's a good thing because they keep us true, but they kind of feel things. They feel the heart of God for certain things, that that's just not right, and we've got away from this, (laughs) okay? And the prophetic gears calls us back. They're guardians of the covenant relationship with God, bringing God's heart to us, bringing us into divine focus. So it's like they understand the heart of God, and they see the gap between God's heart and humanity, and they speak into that gap. They speak into that and they try to draw the part of man into covenant relationship with God. They understand God's heart and man's reality and they speak into the gap. I've just said that. They question the status quo. And they often see or hear what the Spirit is saying beyond what is known rationally, okay? So prophetic grace also almost has an intuition, the intuition of God. It's almost like they have the mind of God at times. There's a special grace that comes upon people to do that. Often when you see the apostle and the prophet working together too, that's really, really exciting. They're like a bow and an arrow together. Because often the apostolic grace can give shape and uh, uh, shape, uh, and the big vision of what God's doing. And then the prophetic grace brings like a download from God that speaks into that and really establishes what has been said. The last three, the evangelist is a, a recruiter to the cause. In in the workplace, they might be like a salesperson. It's just like, so So many of you know who comes over here on a Friday and there's many others, someone like Dixie, just, he just recruits people to the cause. He just is like naturally like in your face chatting, talking, big eyes, smiling in your face, you know, like just like really good at connecting with people and many of you in this room are carrying the grace of an evangelist. We saw it, I saw it this week and people like uh, Vivian and Sid and, And Jason and others I see, I see aggressive and evangelist just like cuts to the chase and asks a few questions and gets away with it, right? Where some of the rest of us are kind of like all kind of nervous. They're just able to get to get to that place. And it's beautiful when we see that they're naturally infectious, able to enlist people into movement by transmitting the gospel simply and clearly, Kind of keep it pretty simple. The good news is Jesus loves you. He died for you. They ask leading questions. They draw people in, and uh, it's great. They they connect well with people and they share the good news. That's the evangelist. The shepherd. The shepherd is the the pastoral grace. They want to nurture spiritual development and formation in the community. They want to see people grow. They want to see people cared for informed. formed. They maintain community healthy. They want to maintain the community healthily. I don't know how that sounds in English there. And how the flock relates to one another. So the pastoral grace gets concerned. Well, I, you know, I saw that person look at that person in a certain way on Sunday. And uh, I just don't know if that's right. Pastors kind of tune into that thing, and we really need them for that because the apostolic grace is not going to let them sort it out. Let's we'll get on with the mission. Okay? Well, the pastoral grace is much more concerned about the dynamic of community life how things are happening amongst the people, how people are relating to each other, how people are being loved, how people are being cared for. They're passionate about a loving community amongst the people of God. And finally, the teacher. Mediates wisdom and understanding. They bring guidance and depth and substance. So sometimes, have you ever been in a place where somebody gives a prophetic word and it's like, whoa, that was amazing. Like, I know God just spoke. but What did that really mean? (laughs) Have you ever been in there? He's like, oh, that really sounded like God, but I need somebody to explain this to me. Teachers kind of sit with people and mediate that wisdom. They break it down so people can understand it. They're obviously schooled well in the scriptures. And they help articulate the culture of the kingdom of God. These are the five different graces. Let me do it really, really simply and something that you might remember. This is, again, a bit of a generalization. But in a sense, the prophet is this finger who's kind of pointing the way. The prophetic grace, it brings a sense of direction where we need to go, where God is leading, what we feel God's saying to us about how we move forward. The evangelist is the middle finger. <laughs> he's out in front of, he's the longest one out in front. He generally will be on the streets or beyond, beyond the confines of the building trying to recruit people to the cause. Okay? The, when he connects with them and wins them for Jesus, then he loved and pastored. Sometimes evangelists aren't the best pastors, you know, they just want to get more people, which is amazing. But the, the evangelist then, brings him in and the pastor kind of tucks in behind her and starts to pastor and love on these people and communicate the love of Jesus with them, help them feel that they're part of a family, help them understand what that's like. And then the teacher, the teacher kind of props that all up by bringing the word of God and by helping them understand and grow in their faith and be equipped so that they can flourish in their gift. And the apostolic kind of grace is a bit like the thumb because uh, you kind of the, the, the thumb can kind of touch them all, and so there's a degree in which the apostolic race can probably do a little better, has to function in a little bit of them all, in order that the foundations can be laid. And when you have those five tucked in with the thumb, we can really pack a punch, right? We can really pack a good punch. But if you take any of those fingers off or the thumb, right, then you can't pack a punch, and you know, it would, uh, you know, just to use this language for a minute, right? But there's just few areas in this town and city where the enemy needs a good punch. It needs the Church of Jesus showing up in all of its power and the demonstration of its spirit in order to see the kingdom come. So can you see how unbiblical and even how logically silly it is to expect one person to do all this? It's like ridiculous. And I know people, lots of my colleagues, like And they're sitting preaching to people who have an expectation, because we pay your wages, you need to do this. So we want you to be a visionary. We want you to be a teacher. We want you to be a pastor. We want you to be able to like do budgets. We want you to be able to visit us when we're sick. We want you to marry us and bury us. We'd love you to be inspiring as well, because like you know, we just don't want to be bored on a Sunday. So we'd love you to be visionary and apostolic. We'd love you to be able to hear from God. You know, it's just like... As far as I know, the only person who could ever do that was Jesus, right? And we are not Jesus, but that's why Jesus built a team amongst the apostles so that all of these graces could be flowing amongst the body of Christ. And what I believe is then that God... Um, raises up certain leaders in each of these areas. So I think that the graces are flowing right through the whole body, but I think God raises up certain leaders within these that after time and after maturity and after those people have been tested through suffering usually and through um, through times when they'll do it when they don't get paid for it and they'll do it when nobody recognizes them for doing it. And they'll do it because they just love Jesus and they love the body of Christ. When that all has become clear, I think God raises people up in leadership in these areas in order to kind of catalyze these graces amongst the body of Christ. So let like, people become, they carry the orbit of a five-fold pastor or a five-fold evangelist. And they, they instigate and catalyze that in the body and through the body of Christ. But my deepest desire is what I believe is I believe these graces in the church in Ireland and around the world are lying dormant. It's like they're dormant. They're in there. Our heart and prayer is that somehow by the Spirit of God, He will will reawaken those. He will reawaken those gifts. He will reawaken them amongst us. And we will function as the body of Jesus in all of these. And so when it comes to training leaders, we want to train people in those areas. We, and we have a leadership pipeline. I haven't got time to talk about this one. But we have a, a pipeline, if that's, that's the kind of buzzword these days, a leadership pipeline, a pathway, if you like, for people to grow and be matured and discipled in these graces so that we can serve Jesus best as his body in the world in which we live. But it gets on all of us. To each has been given grace has Christ apportioned it. Christ apportioned grace to you. A portion to you. and if you're going to work out what that is, the first thing you're going to have to do is stop working out somebody else's. And why it maybe seems that their grace is bigger than your grace, you're going to have to get over that real quick, otherwise you're never going to flow in yours. Because Jesus knew just what He was doing when He placed on you what He placed on you, and 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 if and if if <laughs> if any of us think that we would have done a better job than Jesus in knowing what our graces is, then that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day, right? But Jesus knew just what he was doing when he put you together. And he wants to come upon you afresh. And he wants all of us to be released in these graces so that the saints can get equipped to do the work. Amen. Just a few moments before we finished. I just love the fact that I'm preaching this on Pentecost Sunday. I love that I'm preaching this on the day when we remember that Jesus went back to heaven. And 10 days later, 120 people were gathered in a room, hungry, expecting, not really sure what was next, to be honest. But knowing that something had to happen outside of themselves, before they were going to be able to do what Jesus had left them to do. And so, he came. He came. The Spirit of God came. And let me just read what happened. Just open your heart up to the Lord. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the house. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-freeing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, they heard a sound. The people out there heard a sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. And the message that they heard was the good news of Jesus in their own language. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray today that would you come afresh? Would you come afresh, Holy Spirit, even right now, God? Would you come afresh upon your people? Blow wind of God. Blow wind of God into this church, into every person, into every life, into every part of our being, God, that we think that you sometimes aren't interested in. God, would you blow into that part right now? Would you let your life come in the name of Jesus, Father? Would you let your resurrection life, God, Flow in us afresh, baptize us afresh, and live in us afresh. We pray, oh God, that you would set us on fire. And Lord, as you do that, would you reawaken the gifts that Jesus has placed in this church in order to build your kingdom in this area? God, we repent, oh Lord, for the times that we have resisted or quenched the spirit. At work within us. Uh, Lord, even through inadequate or even through false teaching at times, God, where we haven't even understood this. We just say, God, we are sorry and we are open to the moving of your spirit. And I pray right now, Jesus, for the grace that you have placed on each person, God, to be awakened, released, so that they could be equipped to fulfill in the work of the ministry to fill the universe with the presence of God. So God, I pray from the oldest right down to the youngest and kids and crash right now, fall afresh, Holy Spirit. Fall afresh upon us for your glory in these days. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.